this body. I love being part of this church. Um, you know, everyone in here, we're, we're from different, we were born all over the world. We have people here from Africa and South Africa and other parts of Africa. And, uh, <laughs> Michigan. No, I mean, we're, we're from all over the place. We're from different family backgrounds. We have completely different stories of how we were brought up, different socioeconomic. We're just from all over the place. But we have something that unites us. What, what, what is it that unites us? Yeah, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost dwells in all of our hearts by faith. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and you've trusted him to give you a new life, you're part of the weirdest family that ever was. Isn't that true? <clears throat> so, that's our common union. That's our communion. That's what, that's what actually, that's actually what communion means. It's a common union. It's, it's what brings us together. It's what unites us. It what's, it's what makes us one body. <clears throat> There's um, another group of people that had a common unity. They're called the Israelites. And when they were walking through the desert, after they got out of Egypt, they ran into some trouble and didn't have any food. <clears throat> what did God do in that moment? Here's someone whispering. This is interactive. Interactive part of the program. Yes, manna. I love uh, how Vincent talks about manna, how it got its name. Do you know how it got its name? Manna means, what is it? <laughs> So what is it, bread? Fell from heaven. Because <clears throat> they were all confused. They, they came out of their tents in the morning and saw all the stuff everywhere. And they were like, what is it? And that's how I got its name. <laughs> and so it's this bread that came down from heaven and it fed the Israelites. And the Israelites' common union in that moment is that they were all starving in the wilderness. <laughs> they were united by the fact that they were following uh, cloud by day and fire by night, they were, they were following this incredible God through the desert. And so they were united in this, and they had this common union, they were hungry, and so the Lord gave them bread from heaven. Our common union is Christ. And we're all on a journey together. And we've come to understand this revelation that God does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And Jesus in John chapter 6, I call it the cannibal chapter, the cannibal teaching, he says seven times, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll never die. Seven times within, I think it's like 20, 20 verses. It's between uh, John 6.33 and John 
See, the camera's at home. I'm the bread. I'm the bread. I'm the bread. In case you missed it, I'm the bread. And he said, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, and they died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Manna, um, it, it said, it, it, I, can't, I didn't look up the scripture, but it says somewhere that it's angel's food. And uh, Rick Joyner always says, he thinks that the angels fasted for 40 years <laughs> because their food was raining down from heaven for the Israelites. <laughs> the angels were very invested in getting those people to the promised land so they could get their food back. <laughs> so in this, uh, in this cannibal chapter, John chapter 6, um, Jesus has the largest crowd that he's ever had. And I, can, I don't have time to, to really build the case for this, but you can take my word for it now and research it later. There were at least 5,000 men, plus women and children, and then a whole bunch of people from Tiberias jumped in their boats because they heard Jesus was on the side of the lake and they wanted to come. He had just multiplied uh, the bread and the fish and fed everyone that was following him around. So he's doing the crazy miracles. And, and so now he's got probably on the conservative, conservative estimate, 8,000 people. But it's probably more like 15,000. But I just want to be conservative so we don't leave anyone in the realm of unbelief. Um, <clears throat> so he's got this huge crowd, and this is the moment that he decides to drop the most offensive message that he's got in his sermon repertoire. It says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, because my flesh is food indeed, indeed and my blood is drink indeed. What happens, guys? Do you, know, do you know what verse it says? Many of his disciples turned back and followed him no longer. 666. Six, six. You think that's a coincidence? John 666. It's the number of man, or, or carnal thinking, if you will. It's the number of, you know, the enemy. The number of the beast, right, Matthew? I don't know the book of Revelation very well. <laughs> I rely on Matthew for anything end times. <clears throat> There's no laughing loud in church. <clears throat> isn't, isn't it interesting that the very teaching, the very mystery, the revelation that was meant to bring everyone together was the very thing that blew everything up. And Jesus lost 8,000 followers that day. To me, that, that means that this is, this is something really important. And it's really, it's the same way today. And it's, it's just so offensive to think the, the key to the kingdom is to just be one, to, to have that common 
union, to love one another, to, to take care of one another's needs, to, to show up when someone is hurting or has experienced a tragedy. It, it, it just seems it, it, there's got to be something more mystical than that. And in the, in the prophetic community, I, I love revelatory messages. I love getting cool tidbits of just tasty review from the Bible. But this is so simple that it still offends us that all we have to do is come together as one. All we have to do is love one another. And uh, the next verse, John six sixty seven, Jesus turns to his twelve and says, "You guys want to leave me too?" And Peter says something that I believe is the key. Well, it's actually two things, two keys for enduring any kind of offense. Two keys. And he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, if you were confronted with, in this situation, wouldn't the proper response be, where am I going to go? Right? Because he's, he's giving them the opportunity to leave. But Peter says, instead of where am I going to go, he says, to whom are we going to go? That means that Peter had something shift in his mind, and his home was no longer a physical location. It was a man. His home was no longer a tent or a hut or a boat. It was no longer a place. It was wherever this guy was. And he's essentially saying, Jesus, if you can tell me about another rabbi that's as cool as you, you know, but there's, there's no one. And, and, he, and he goes on to say, you have the words of eternal life. So it means that when 8,000 people were offended and blew up, we can probably rightly assume that they, I mean, a lot of those people were literally—they were literal disciples of Jesus. They had been around him a long time, but it's this one message that offended them so badly that they left. So, out of eight thousand people, twelve remained, and the only thing that kept them there was the fact that they knew that Jesus was their home, that they couldn't find another Jesus anywhere. They couldn't find another Bartholomew, Matthew. They couldn't find another Judas, the good one. You know, there's two Judases. They couldn't find, they couldn't find another family like this. Where are we going to go, Lord? To whom shall we go? And they also, they also heard the words of eternal life. Those are the two keys to enduring any kind of, of offense. No matter how angry you are, if you have gotten intimately connected with people in the body of Christ, and you, in that place, have experienced the anointing where you've heard the words of the Son of God, where you've heard those words that give you life, the words of graciousness that wash over you, then you can endure. 
But if you're not intimately connected with people in a community and you don't regularly have encounters with the Word, you can fall. It's actually really easy. 7,888. 7,988 people did. Only 12 remained. That's how important being intimately connected to one another is. All right, I think I beat that horse. Guys, I haven't beat it. I'm going to keep on beating it. The day before. The day before everyone deserted him, they were going to make him king by force. They were worshiping him because he had done the miracles, multiplied the food. He, he had, at that point, he had healed a, uh, a nobleman's son from a long distance. He had, uh, done, he had turned the water into wine. He had, in one, po- in, in one of the Gospels, at this point in his life, it, he healed everyone who crowded around him. He had miracles galore. They wanted to make him king by force, but the miracles didn't keep them when the offense came. The only thing that kept them was love for this man and one another. The day before... These 7,988, thank you, Aaron Davenport, for looking at me so I could figure out that math. 7,988 people deserted him. So the miracles aren't going to do it, even though miracles are awesome. The zeal isn't going to do it, even even though zeal is awesome. That zeal to make Jesus king... Because you've seen him do awesome stuff, it's not going to cut it, guys. You have to be intimately connected with a body. When I was considering leaving uh, my old career and coming on full-time at Haas, the Lord gave me this dream. And and in this dream, me and uh, a worship leader... From Hawes, we uh, we were at Hawes. Hawes was actually at a different building, and beneath the soil there was planted an atom bomb. Okay. So in this dream, uh, worship leader and I are at Hawes, and there's an there's a bomb planted beneath the surface. It's it's an A bomb, is what it was called in the dream. And. Uh, and it's in Dallas. And instead of evacuating or running from it, everyone at Hawes decides that we're going to pray until the bomb goes off and, and die with the people of Dallas. Or, you know, pray until that. We're going to give, symbolically give our lives in the place of prayer. But me and this worship leader, we don't want to die. And so in the dream, we leave and uh, we're, planning on, we're planning on escaping. <clears throat> and we, uh, we, we stop and we eat lunch. And while we're eating there, <laughs> another worship leader comes running by us, and he's saying, you guys are coming, right? The bomb's going to go off soon. And we're like, yeah, we're coming. Totally lie to him. 
and um, he goes to Haas to pray with the, with the rest of our family. And <laughs> me and this other worship leader, we take off running. And I know the, the bomb's about to go off. We have a general time, you know, within like a minute or so, we know when it's going to go off. And so we're jumping over cars and, and fire hydrants and dodging people and trespassing, trying to stay in a, tra- in a straight line away from the, the bomb. And then I turn back and I see this mushroom cloud rising. The bomb has already gone off. And so we, we bunker down in this... Um, backyard and we see all these fences being plucked up and they, they turn into arrows and it's like a, a cloud of arrows coming at us like in that one movie that I won't endorse but um, <laughs> there's this cloud of arrows that were picket fences of fences coming at us and the bomb blast rolls over us and then uh, my friend and I, we're now reenacting that same scene. We're jumping those same fire hydrants, dodging cars, trespassing. Only there's these camera crews present. One of those cameras on one of the uh, cables is like flying next to us as we're running. And I understand we're in a reality show called How to Survive an Atomic Bomb Blast. And we stop and I look at my friend, this worship leader, who I had escaped pause and, and survive the atom bomb blast with, and I've never seen a person look so sad in all of my life. And I have the fullness of regret wash over me, the fullness of sorrow. And he looks at me and he says, with tears streaming down his face, tell me you don't think about that day every day and wish we would have stayed and died with our friends. And the Lord spoke in the dream and he said, you've been teaching people how to survive. But I want to teach people how to die well. See, we were now stars of a reality TV show that had the appearance of power, the appearance of wisdom, but it lacked any power. That was the dream I got right before, well, like when I was trying to decide if I was going to come on full time. And the Lord was so gracious to give me that dream so that I wouldn't make the mistake of bolting at the moment of offense. He let me feel the fullness of regret of abandoning my friends and family and wishing that I would have stayed and died with them in that moment and given my life in the place of prayer. He's very good like that with me because he knows I've got a wandering heart. It was so good of him to give me that dream ahead of time because now I know without a doubt this is where I'm supposed to be. Amen. Anybody in here want to know exactly where they're supposed to be? All right. Hang with me. You're about to find out. This is so cool. When I was writing this, uh, putting my notes together yesterday, uh, Judah, my son, was watching one of his cartoons, <clears throat> and I was I was typing about how like we can do anything when we stick together, like, and 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 how we need to we need to work as a team. And this cartoon is called Wonder Pets. It starts singing <clears throat> the song, "You can do anything when you're part of a team." Yeah. This is yesterday when I was writing this, so I started paying attention to this ridiculous cartoon, <clears throat> and it's about these. Three school pets, a turtle, 
a guinea pig, and a little duckling called Lenny, Tuck, and Ming Ming. <laughs> and they're just these weak little baby animals. But when the, the school ends, they turn into like superheroes because they band together, they escape their cages, and then they go help animals that are in need. And I was thinking, that is a picture of Encounter Jesus School. Right there. <laughs> a bunch of weak animals that have escaped our cages. But when we band together, anything is possible. <clears throat> it was weird. I, I just had this, this like evening of confirmation through the TV because Vince and I, later on, we were just looking through Netflix Instant View, and the only thing that looked interesting on Instant View was this documentary on cannibals. <laughs> Eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? <laughs> I didn't put it together until today. I was like, wait a minute. We, we want to <laughs> Anyway. <clears throat> so what does it look like to become one as a body? It means that we care for one, another need, one another's needs. We show up. When someone's hurting, we honor one another uh, verbally and with our actions. We devote ourselves continually to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. One of our students this past uh, semester had the wheels stolen off their car. It happened. Uh, it happened in the morning, and so um, when when she was out of the room, we we uh, secretly took up an offering from our students. And now it was like eighteen, uh, mostly broke twenty-year-olds, right? You know, and so <laughs> this might put a dent in the cost. I was so proud of my students. I was so proud of our students. So we raised $600, like that. <clears throat> and the total for replacing the wheels and tires ended up being about 30 bucks less than that, I think. And so they had enough money left over to go grab some dinner. Isn't that cool? And I think that, uh, I think that the person, uh, the student, was was really impacted by the love of the body in that moment. We just uh, took a trip with the school out to the East Coast, which was awesome. Um, you, you never know, you kind of have an idea what it's going to look like, and then it doesn't look anything like you, you know, the idea in your head, but it ends up being cooler in, in different ways. And... Uh, <clears throat> Oh, by the way, this summer we're planning out an awesome trip. If you're interested in the school, we're going to uh, Memphis uh, to minister on the streets, Chicago to minister to the poor, and then up into Michigan where Vince and I grew up where we have relationships with some ministries up there to do more uh, ministry in churches and on the streets. So we're going to enjoy the city of Memphis, Chicago, Lake Michigan probably. The sand dunes are beautiful. So anyway, if you're interested... And Encounter Jesus School. That was, a good, that was a good plug, wasn't it? You can email ejs at hawsdallas.com. 
So on this trip out to the East Coast, we meet this guy. I just love this dude. He's in charge of this. Uh, he Well, he founded this ministry to the homeless and poor. And I have never... Okay, there's like a couple people I've met in my life that love as well as this guy does. When he, he decided to minister to the poor, start ministering to the poor like 50 years ago, and he will often still go homeless in order to reach the homeless, even though he has, uh, you know, a wife and a nice house and, you know, enough, you know, more than enough money to have a very comfortable life, he will sometimes spend a week or more living under a bridge in, in order to make friends with homeless people. And so, <clears throat> one of these times, three years back, uh, he was living under this bridge for a while, and um, a month, he was living under this bridge for a month. Come on now. Let's just, that is awesome. I, I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm glad that's not my calling word. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have, to, you have to have a sleep buddy in order to watch your back when you sleep so stuff doesn't get stolen or worse. And so he made friends with this guy named Melvin. And, um, and he led Melvin to the Lord underneath this bridge and started discipling him just out there on the streets. Melvin went missing. And, um, and our, our friend, his name is Rick. Rick was beside himself in sorrow. And all these reports were coming in of what had happened to Melvin. And um, he even heard from someone that he had died. But for three years, anytime he goes out to minister on the streets, he's got his eyes peeled. He's looking for Melvin. It's always in the back of his, his mind because he became really close friends with this person, by, by our standards, who has a complete wreck of a life, who is completely screwed up, you know? Honestly, when you're driving down the street and you see homeless people, you're thinking, They've, they must have screwed up. Or they're, you're, they're, they're, you're not looking at their life thinking, that's the kind of life that I want. But yet, that's the kind of man that he befriended. For three years, he's looking for him. And it just so happened that when we were down at the ministry, Melvin came rolling up in a wheelchair. And I saw... Okay. Melvin smelled horrible. I'm just going to be straight up. He's a homeless dude. He smelled awful. He's in a wheelchair. We found out he had injured his head and, and lost use, most use of the right side of his body. And that's why he disappeared. And he was living in the woods and wherever he could find shelter for three years. His fingernails were as long as talons because he couldn't take care of himself. His hair and beard, I mean, you could see just like his eyes. And um, <clears throat> and when he came rolling up, Rick embraced him. I saw Rick weeping because his friend had been found. And we, um, Charles Udo, trimmed Melvin's fingernails, gave him gave him a, a manly manicure. <laughs> 
uh, shaved his beard down to a nice trim goatee, gave him a haircut. I helped Rick get him into a shower. We cleaned him up. We put him in all new clothes, gave him food to eat, put him inside the shelter. And I saw Rick several times weeping. He was as happy as a kid at Christmas that he had found his homeless friend. You know what else uh, exemplifies Rick's life or what else comes out of Rick's life? Insane power. Prophetic power like I have never seen. He, he got this property. He found it because he wanted to use it for the homeless and the poor and the widows. And it was worth $4 million. And he's meeting with the owner about just renting out one little section of it for meetings. And when he's meeting with the owner, the Lord tells Rick, tell this guy that you'll take it. And so without even seeing the inside of the building, Rick turns to him and says, I'll take it. And he's like, oh, you want to rent this section? And he's like, no, I want the whole property. And he laughs at him. It's like $4 million. He says it was going to be $4.6 million. And um, the Lord says, offer him 465000 So he offers him 465000 The guy laughs at him. And I think either the next day or shortly after, the Lord speaks to the owner and sells it to Rick for 10% of the value. 465000 for a $4.6 building. He wants to take over uh, the houses around it, too. And so he... And he, and he has. He's taken several of them. But this one particular house he wants to buy, the woman uh, who owns it finally calls him up and says, Hey, Rick, I know you want my house. I'm trying to move out of it. I want to sell it to you for $100,000. And Rick says, Thank you. Uh, the Lord told me you were going to give it to me for free. That's some boldness. <laughs> and the woman gets offended. And she said, well, if the Lord can tell you something like that, then He can tell you what I'm wearing, what I'm thinking, where I am, and what I'm doing right now. And Rick said he inhaled, the Lord came over him and he said, you are wearing a yellow sweater with a blue striped shirt underneath it, blue jeans, purple sandals with flowers on it. You have this kind of purse inside your purse. He names the contents of her purse, says there's a cell phone inside your purse. The phone number is da 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 He says, and you are in a city, and I can't remember the name of the city. It was in South America. You are in this city in South America. You're cheating on your husband right now. Your taxes were due yesterday. That's what you're thinking about. She FedExes him the deed the next day because every word he said was absolutely accurate. This man has stepped in. This man has stepped into power because he has learned how to take care of people. It seems silly. It seems too simple. But it is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He said to me, like six weeks ago, I think, he said, if you become the body, I'll supply the blood. If you just become a unified family, I will supply the power of my blood. You do your job, and I'll do my job.
There's seven verses in the New Testament where the church is called the body of Christ. I'm not going to go over them, but you can just take my word for it. <clears throat> one of them, uh, one of my favorites is in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews, Greeks, slave, or free, we're all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of many, is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I shouldn't be part of the body. If the eye should say, because I'm not the... And the Lord is saying right now, we have people that are despising who they are and comparing themselves with one another and saying, because I'm not the person up front, because I'm not the awesome backup vocalist, because I'm not the one that's anointed in this area, I really don't have a place. It goes on to say uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, just a couple verses later, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Meaning, when we just honor the way that one another is made, when we honor the way that Vince is made and the gifts of the Lord is put in him and, and Chris Cosby and the gifts that he can cook like crazy, so can Charles. When we just honor the way that people are made and not require of them to be like someone else. And when we, when we take that burden off our own shoulders and stop trying to be like the other person in the church, then we'll start to become a real body. And we'll start to see the real power of the blood of Christ flowing from our ministry. So back in John 6, Jesus released a message that made everyone think that he was like the leader of a cannibal cult. But he was talking about common union. He was talking about in Luke twenty two nineteen, where he said, it says, He took the bread, gave, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I love a God that releases spiritual power through eating. I love eating. <laughs> eating with one another. Coming together and enjoying a meal. See, in church, we, we're going to take communion tonight. And traditionally, you know, we're used to just having a tiny little piece of cracker and, you know, some grape juice. But when Jesus was doing it, they were having supper. The bread was just part of a full meal. And so he broke the bread saying, this is my body. And it's not just symbolic. There is a real spiritual force release when we come together, enjoy one another over a meal. I, I challenge you guys to start doing this when you go out to Wendy's with one another. 
There's bread on those buns. You're just, you're enjoying a meal together. You're enjoying fellowship with one another. You have a common union, and it's called the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So give thanks for that junior bacon cheeseburger, break it, share it with one another, and watch things start happening in your hearts. You'll start to see the Jesus inside of one another. See, he said, do this in remembrance of me. I, I took some time studying the word remember. And it means to put back together. Right? Remember. Jesus, when he was whipped, had pieces of flesh flying off of him. He had his skin torn off his back. And he was hanging on the cross disjointed. His, his shoulders had come unhinged, his hips. He's in all this pain. He's been dismembered. When we come together as the body of Christ, we remember Him. See, the church right now still looks like that torn apart Jesus, all disjointed, but we're coming together. We're coming back together. It's more than just to recall. It means to put back together. In Song of Solomon 4.7, it says, You are altogether lovely. This is something the Lord whispered to me. I would have never thought of this verse having to do with communion. And that word altogether, I looked that one up too. It, obviously, it, it denotes or connotes that you are completely beautiful. There's no flaw in you. But it also means a coming together a beautiful togetherness because you are all together lovely. It's a picture of his bride coming together in unity. So what we're going to do with that is we're going to take communion together. And we've all been, there's endless ways to do communion we can pass around the, the tray and stuff, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We can, the, the pastor up front can lead it, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to do something different today. We've set up four tables in the corners of the room, and I want you all to go to whatever table is closest when we, when we say go. And I want you to break into groups, or, or maybe the whole corner group, hang out, you know, stand in a circle, enjoy one another. Enjoy eating the body and, 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 and the blood together. The Lord told me that um, we, uh, we love to drink the blood, but we hate to eat the body. The body is, is you know, flesh. We're, we're, we're investing in one another's weaknesses. We're getting so close to one another that their pain pains us. It's not, it's not that pleasant at times to get really intimately engaged in friendship with people that are screwed up. 
We don't like to eat the body, okay? I, I, I'm not trying to, like, tip over sacred horses or anything like that right now. Sacred cows, whatever. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. How many in here look forward to showing up for someone that has screwed up their life again? <laughs> it's not like we enjoy being inconvenienced by other people's troubles. But that is what the Lord is calling us to, to eat the body, to become one with one another. You know we hate to eat the body. It's those nasty wafers. <laughs> right? you got to get through that nasty wafer. And the, and the guy up front is praying so long, you're like, come on, man. Just let me, let me drink that grape juice. This wafer stuck in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even today, I wish I would have went out and bought some really tasty bread. We've got nasty matzo bread. It's so dry. If you like, if you like matzo bread, I'm sorry, but it's nasty. You're gonna eat that, and you're gonna, you're not gonna. All right, let's let's get to the blood part, right? Okay. <laughs> So what we're going to do is George is going to put on some music, and we're going to get up, take communion, hang out, get to know one another, find someone that you haven't met yet, or find someone that you, you feel like the Lord has called you to, to like lock arms with in life, like to live life together, get to know them, and we're dismissed. You just, we're going to take communion, and we're going to hang out. And it's going to be a love feast. <laughs>